Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today's episode is about the disability that no one really seems to know about. Does your child have maybe seemingly mild separation anxiety, but doesn't really quite make sense because your child seems secure and happy when he or she is with others? Or what about your child having difficulty with tracking or reading, making eye contact? And now maybe you take them to the, uh, the doctor, neuropsychologist, and maybe there's an evaluation done and the evaluation is indicative of autism or another condition, but you just know as the parent that something is not quite right. And educators, for those of you listening, this is absolutely the information that we need to be able to help students. You know, those kids in our class where they have to sit up in the front because ah, they're really not seeing that well, you know they're straining, but they sit up in the front and it's just not enough so we send them to the school nurse and the nurse writes a letter to have an eye exam. But yet the problem is not solved. Stephanie here is today going to share so much of her information and how she discovered that her child, her son at 15 years old, first time ever, that she realized he could not identify himself in a picture. He was walking around legally blind. How is this possible? Stephanie is here to share her information so that way we can guide our students and we can help our children in the way that they need it so they don't have to suffer for so long. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, it's so wonderful to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be a guest on your show. I wanted to just say thank you and how grateful I am for this opportunity to be here to raise awareness about cerebral slash cortical visual impairment or CVI. CVI was identified as the number one cause of visual impairment in the developed world more than 10 years ago and still doesn't have a diagnostic code. There are tens of thousands of people here in the US alone who have CVI and it is a true public health crisis. Um, as you mentioned, when my son was 15 years old, he was a straight A honor student. He's a genius artist who draws and paints with photographic realism when he wants to. And he was on the water polo team and the diving teams at his high school. And we had absolutely no idea that he had any disability of any kind. 
And so, as you mentioned, one night we happened to be going through old photos and I am that mom that made a baby book for my son and then didn't do a single thing after that. And I have $1,500 worth of craft making supplies in my closet behind me that have never been used again. So we literally hadn't gone through these pictures for years. And so we were sitting on the sofa with my computer on my lap and we were looking at old photos and I was narrating to my son about who is in the pictures because they were baby photos and there was a lot of pictures of people he wouldn't remember. So I was like, oh, there you are with your cousins from Canada that you haven't seen for seven years. And there you are with our our neighbors from the old house we used to live in, you know, that you haven't seen since you were a baby and that kind of thing. And we were doing this for about half an hour. We kind of migrated our way up from the baby toddler pictures into like the preschool years. And a really cute picture of my son popped up on the screen. And I looked at it and I said, oh, look, who's that? And there was crickets. And finally, my son said, how would I know? And the hair on the back of my neck just stood up because back in 2017, I had never heard of CVI. I had never heard of prosopagnosia, which we also call face blindness. I honestly didn't know it was possible for a human being to be face blind. And so I was just astonished because here's my artist who draws incredibly realistic faces and he's not recognizing his own face after having looked at pictures of his own face for half an hour. So I started quizzing him about other people in the pictures, myself, my husband, different family members, you know, all of us, you know, 15 years younger or whatever, and uh, thinner and less gray hair, obviously <laughs> <laughs> us, you know, and he was guessing. And so I was blown away, but I wasn't frightened. I was more curious. So that very night I set to work researching and it took quite a while because back in 2017, there really was very little information about CBI that I could find on the internet. And so it took me quite a while of sifting through and as I was looking through facial recognition, everything that came up was like facial recognition software, which wasn't helpful, but I finally right. found it. And so it's like, oh, prosopagnosia, it's a real thing. But I was told that it was very, very rare, which of course is not true. We know that now. But at the time, this is what I learned, that it was supposedly this very rare condition. And But it was a real thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. Everybody has a quirk. So apparently my son has prosopagnosia. And I wasn't too concerned about it. But the very next day, we discovered that my son had taught himself to navigate our own home by counting his steps and turns and had been navigating our home, our small neighborhood, and his extremely architecturally complex high school that way all his life with none of us knowing. And that was when I got scared because my son was a gifted student. And he was expecting and looking forward to going off to college. We were literally just about to enroll him in driver's ed. And here I am realizing that not only does he have prosopagnosia, which is face blindness, but now I know he has topographical agnosia, which is the inability to recognize your surroundings. Topographical agnosia means that no matter how many times you walk into a room or a place, nothing ever looks familiar to you. And so people who have that condition have no ability to build memories and to make mental maps of their world because so is that the ability to process what they're seeing then to make it into a memory is it part of processing yeah it's it's part of visual memory 
So what's happening, I can, that's a really great question. And I can talk a little bit about what CVI is. So CVI, when the light comes through your eye, CVI is entirely different from ocular blindness. Ocular blindness is caused by problems with the eye and the optic nerve. Mm -hmm. CVI is a brain-based vision impairment, and it's completely different. People who have CVI very frequently have normal acuity, just like my son does. And so my son passed every vision test every year because he has normal acuity, and our optometric exams are just decades out of date. So when the eye, when the light comes through the eye, what happens is it travels, it's converted into an electrical signal that travels through the optic nerve. When it goes past the LGN or the lateral geniculate nuclei, it travels to the back of the brain. And the time it takes between the time it enters the eye and reaches the back of the brain is about a tenth of a second. Mm-hmm. And in that time, there is absolutely no conscious perception of sight. So in other words, our eyes don't see anything on their own. Our eyes are just light collectors. All of our seeing happens in our brain because there's no conscious of perception of sight when the light lands in the eye. It's not until the signal reaches the brain where the brain starts to actually see. So our seeing happens in our brain and more than 40% of our brain is devoted to visual processing. And different areas of the brain are devoted to processing different things. For example, motion happens in the back of the brain. And then we have the dorsal stream and the ventral stream. The dorsal stream, if you have problems with dorsal stream impairment, people who have that often have difficulty spotting someone in a crowded place. They have difficulty with visually crowded scenes. So for example, a child who has dorsal stream impairment might find doing Where's Waldo to be completely impossible or doing a puzzle implications in the classroom or at home, it might seem like, okay, you're just forgetting. We were just here. Why don't, right. why don't you remember? What about the letters? Remember the letters? We just, you just had A, you just had the sound. You just, you know, why can't you remember it? Mm-hmm. It could look like, I would imagine, like a memory issue when they really, they're yeah. not, right? They're not seeing certain areas like you're, when you break down, because I think the most common form that we're used to, meaning the common people that don't have this directly in their world, is when somebody is blind, they can't mm-hmm. see, and that's what you're calling the ocular blindness. Mm-hmm. But now that you're breaking it down for us, it really helps us to be more educated in looking for the signs and yes. advocating for these children who you just know it has to do with something that is linked with vision and being able to remember what they've seen. So please continue. Well, I want to address a couple of things you said. You made a couple of great comments. So first of all, I want to go back to when you were talking about my son being legally blind. Our definition of legal blindness is more than 100 years old, and it's completely and entirely out of date. It's based entirely on ocular vision issues and acuity. And we know now that vision is not just acuity, vision is actually processed in the brain. And so brain-based vision impairments are really need to be a, a part of the definition of ocular blindness. And we're working hard to change that. So that's one thing I wanted to comment on. And the other thing is, so when you talk about my son's vision, I mentioned that he has prosopagnosia or face blindness. 
He has topographical agnosia, which is the inability to recognize his surroundings. And he also has object agnosia and the inability to recognize biological forms. So he has no ability to recognize faces, places, objects, or biological forms. He can't recognize his hands, face, or body. So every time my son looks at his hand, it's the very first time he's ever seen any hand every single time. Wow. Because no memory being formed when he looks at it. There's no visual memory whatsoever. And so that's a product of ventral stream processing dysfunction. So we have the dorsal stream, which goes across the top of the brain, and then the ventral stream runs through the middle. So if you touch right above and behind your right ear, that's where the right fusiform gyrus of the brain is. And that's where facial recognition takes place. And people who have damage to the brain in this area right here very often have prosopagnosia. They also often have topographic agnosia because those two things are processed very close together. And if one area is damaged, it's often that the other one is as well. So different parts of the brain are used to recognize and, and to picture different things. So it, every person who has CVI will, may have totally different symptoms because where the brain damage happens is pretty random. So I happen to be in very close contact with a family who has a, a, a child, um, 12 years old, and this child is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And my son, the one part of his vision that works just like typical vision is his ability to recognize words, letters, numbers, and simple shapes. So my son has always had visual access to numeracy and literacy. And in fact, he taught himself to read when he was two and a half years old. He was reading and writing at two and a half. And he was reading and comprehending the old Nancy Drew chapter books that I remember struggling with when I was in second and third grade when he was four. So we knew he was very, very advanced academically. And this all happened on his own without worksheets and drills. I mean, he just taught himself. So... To go back to my other family that I'm talking about with the 12 year old, this family has a child who has struggled and struggled and struggled with reading their entire life for 12, 12 years. They probably started when they were in kindergarten. So I'd say, what is that? I can't do the math. Seven years. Sure. This family struggled very hard with reading and the mom is brilliant and they have literally done every single reading strategy. The mom's an educator mm -hmm. and she has done every reading strategy to help this child. And it wasn't until they discovered their child had CVI just this past year and they switched to Braille, and this child is for the very first time in a couple of months reading at grade level for the first time. And I just, my goosebumps just go up when I hear, when I say those words, because, you know, just because my son has visual access to numeracy and literacy doesn't mean that every person with CBI has that, right? Because of where the brain damage lands, everybody's different. But and that's why it is so important that people listen to my guests here, because when we are aware of what can be holding our children back, then we are able to help them. But we need to remember what we hear. We need to consider it and not fall back in on what is mainstream. Just like when Stephanie looked online and she found facial recognition, but for like computers, <laughs> that's just because we're so advanced during certain things, but we're not always advanced in the areas that we need and we're underdeveloped in certain areas. And that's a really, really important thing to remember here. Yeah. So to get back to the CVI, what I'd like to make sure everybody understands is that my son, 
people who have CVI, children who have it, are very often survivors of traumatic birth events, but anyone can develop it at any age. And so you can develop it from stroke, from drowning incidents, from lack of oxygen. And we have this enormous number of children who have CVI now that because we our NICU care has increased so exponentially and improved so much that we have all of these little babies that did not used to survive extreme premature birth that are now surviving. And they have often, they have epilepsy and they've got cerebral palsy and they have CVI. And so my son, I actually had a birth incident. I had preeclampsia and I was full term with my son. It was three days before my due date when I was diagnosed with preeclampsia, but I coded from the epidural and my blood pressure crashed to 40 over 26. And the last thing I remember is getting the six inch needle of epinephrine in my heart. And I was unconscious for six hours of my labor. And my husband who is present said they had the fetal monitor in, you know, for my son. And he said, there was no no fetal distress. And so I woke up six hours later and gave birth the regular way. Wow. And my son had a nine on his APGAR score. And we were told we had a perfectly healthy baby. We took what we thought was a perfectly healthy baby home from the hospital. Now I'm a music and movement specialist an early childhood music and movement specialist. And my son received intensive music and movement therapy from birth, just by accident of having me for a mom. There are more than two decades of research demonstrating that music and movement in early childhood before the age of seven has tremendous neurological benefits. Mm -hmm. My son had all normal developmental milestones. He took the training wheels off his bike when he was four. We have photos of my blind son who can't recognize his face or anybody else's making regular consistent eye contact from birth. We have photos of my blind son using visual guidance of reach at a developmentally appropriate age. Visual guidance of reach is where you look at an object and then use your vision to reach for it. And my son is almost completely blind and we have photos of him doing that anyway. So we know that children who receive high quality music and movement experiences before the age of seven have better balance, coordination, fine and gross motor skills, proprioception, which is knowledge of where your body is in space, which comes in really handy when you can't actually see your body, right? Um, They have better um, auditory discrimination, language development, reading and math ability, and IQ. And so my son received intensive music and movement therapy. And I believe that that's the reason that my son had all normal developmental milestones, despite the fact that he's almost completely blind, because we have more than two decades of research saying that all children who receive that have better balance and coordination, et cetera, et cetera. So the vast majority of children who have CVI are severely developmentally delayed. And I really want to get my message out that that doesn't have to happen. There are simple things you can do at home that can help your child now and to not wait. So we have the music and the movement. Are there other suggestions that you have for our listeners? Absolutely. So one of the things we haven't talked about is that My book is called Eyeless Mind, a memoir about seeing and being seen. And it's the true story of how I, an ordinary music teacher, made a major medical discovery in the field of visual neuroplasticity. My son, Sebastian, is actually the only person in the world known to process his vision verbally, which means that he sees with words like a bat sees with sound. 
He spent six hours in the fMRI for the Harvard CVI Neuroplasticity Research Study, and Dr. Latvi-Maribet captured Sebastian's use of verbal mediation to process his vision in the fMRI. So I know a lot of people listening to that are going, I have no idea what she just said. <laughs> but it's, it sounds really good and really important, really, and it is. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to back up and explain Great. a little bit. So we talked earlier about how our eyes actually don't see anything at all. They just collect light. So human beings can actually don't need eyes to see. There are human beings alive on the planet right now who have no eyes who can see. And I'll give you a couple of names. Daniel Kish, he lost both eyes to cancer in infancy, and he taught himself to echolocate. And Daniel, um, he can ride a bike. He has no eyes, but he can ride a bike. And he teaches children who are blind how to echolocate. And I just recently had a wonderful conversation with one of his students, Brian Bushway. And Brian Bushway is also blind and he's ocularly blind. And he also can echolocate and he also teaches. Even typically sighted people can learn how to do that. So back to Daniel Kish, when they put Daniel in the fMRI and they have Daniel listen to echoes, the visual cortex of his brain lights up when he hears echoes, but not when he hears ordinary sounds. So he's quite literally seeing with sound. He's seeing with echoes. For my son, my son, because he can't recognize faces or places or objects or biological forms, what he has to do is he has to guess what things are based on what their verbal characteristics are. Because he can see color, he can see motion, he can see shapes to some degree. And so my characteristics are tall blonde glasses because I used to, before I had cataract surgery last year, I used to wear glasses all the time. And so I actually don't know what my new characteristics are. I'll have to ask him, <laughs> but they were tall blonde glasses. And if you put me in a room full of tall blonde women wearing glasses, my son would not be able to tell us apart because we without our voice, right? He'd, he'd know my voice, but just visually, no. So long story short, when my son thinks those words, tall blonde glasses, he gets just a momentary flash of what I look like. And so when he was in the fMRI for the, um, the Laboratory for Visual Neuroplasticity, the fMRI is a functional magnetic resonance image. And it doesn't just show what the brain looks like, it shows what the brain actually does. And my son's visual cortex lights up and he sees when he thinks the word descriptors of something. And so Sebastian is actually the only person in the world known to choose, known to be able to choose to see or not see with his, his eyes wide open. Because when he's not thinking verbal descriptors to himself, he actually has no conscious perception of sight. Mm -hmm. For more information about that, Dr. Latvi Maribet published a paper about my son in Neurobiologia last fall in collaboration with Dr. Barry Cran, who's the head of optometrics at the New England Eye Low Vision Clinic at the Perkins School for the Blind. And I'll put that in the show notes for you if you would like to see that. Absolutely. I think it's important that people realize that this information is just a click away and it won't take you to the wrong facial recognition places. It's going to take you to answer your questions, to mm -hmm. discover what blindness really can encompass. And it'll be right in the description below for you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And so for those of you who are looking for um, possible resources to learn more about CVI, first of all, I would suggest that you go to CVI Scotland www.cviscotland.org, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. 
This is a wonderful website with videos about what it can be like to see through the eyes of someone who has CVI, because there's so many different manifestations of how each person experiences it. They have many different videos and it is all scientifically and medically accurate information. And so it's actually considered by experts to be one of the best sources of actual factual information about CVI. So if you want more information about CVI, that's a really good place to start. And even though it's medically accurate and scientific, it's very parent friendly. So it's not going to go over your head. You can go it, you know, a little bit at a time until you get what you want out of the, the website. And another great opinion, I have a question for you. In your opinion, Stephanie, how do we educate? the school systems about this information? Oh my goodness. Well, that's an enormous job. So um, I, I'm glad that you asked that because first of all, one of the things we talked about with the prevalence of CVI being the number one cause of visual impairment, it is actually more common than ocular blindness. And the average teacher of the visually impaired, their caseload is made up of more than 50% of students who have CVI. And one of the big problems we have is that the average TVI receives little to no training in CVI whatsoever. And the only teacher training program that even requires coursework in CVI that I'm aware of at this time is UMass in Boston. And so teachers of the visually impaired graduate entirely unprepared to deal with more than half of their caseloads. So we really have a problem here. And the answer to your question is advocacy. So pointing your teachers in the direction of education sites. And so I will put links for parents who need help educating their teachers. There are wonderful fact, factual classes on CVI that you can actually access through the Perkins School for the Blind. Then that's a great place for parents to get started too. So I would go and there. Spread the word. If this is resonating with you, mm-hmm. then you take this episode and you email it to your administrator, you email it to the health department in your child's district. You email it to your teachers and principals and make sure you get to that health staff so they can educate their nursing staff that sees so many of our children. So Mm -hmm. just knowing the information is a piece of it, but doing something with it. So share this episode, let Stephanie's knowledge and information as well as her links and resources be a guide and a little bit of a door for others to say, maybe this is something we really need to be taken care of, especially when children are suffering now more than ever in schools with anxiety and with separation anxiety too, because they were home during COVID. There are so many reasons to get this information out there that if you're listening, just think of at least one person you're going to share this episode with. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I just wanted to also touch on the fact that because CVI doesn't have a diagnostic code yet, children who have it very frequently are misdiagnosed with autism, emotional and behavioral disorders. And um, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. It happens. Intellectual disabilities. Yes, intellectual disabilities. (laughs) Yes, thank you. That was the one I was missing. Sorry. And uh, yeah, it's been one of those days, apparently. So, well, there's so much to know, and there's just so much information, Stephanie. We could take this in, in just so many ways. And so, really, I think you've helped us to one raise awareness, 
we know a couple of strategies that we can use at home between the music and the movement, educating the doctors, taking this information that people can download and say, are you aware of this? So they don't have the same experiences that you had only five years ago when you were advocating for your son, when you knew something wasn't quite right and found it and they just weren't aware of it. So, so there's a lot of information you're sharing. We thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. And I just wanted to say that a lot has changed since that time period. Great. Just this past June, Perkins hosted um, the CVI Collaboration for Change Conference. And they had Dr. Michael Chiang, who is the head of the National Eye Institute, which is a division of the National Institute of Health as the keynote speaker. Great. And so CVI is now on the awareness of the National Institute of Health. They have actually identified it as an area of interest for the very first time. And the NIH has actually identified CVI as the number one cause of visual impairment in the developed world. So they've confirmed that. And so they have, they have approved it for, that means that CVI will now receive government research funding for the very first time. Great, congratulations. Yes, it's a huge step forward. We, I'm really optimistic that there will be a diagnostic code for CVI in the near future, as opposed to like decades from now. So, yeah. We're going to help you with that. We're going to help these kids out there. We're going to help these young adults and the adults who haven't been diagnosed. We're going to help because we're, we're talking with one another. We're going to take your information. We're going to share it. Our listeners are awesome and they're really very actively involved, I know. So they're gonna take your information and give it to the people who work with kids who are in the health fields, because even if we're parents in a district and we're not in the health fields either, that means we could still take action to be able to help get that word out there because there needs to be a code out there. Diagnostic code is what we need when we want to get services for our students, for our well, children. Right? Children need to be accurately diagnosed as soon as possible so that they can receive the educational and habilitative supports that they need. It's, I'll be honest, it is absolutely terrifying to be blind and have absolutely no one around you know that. Imagine, yeah. imagine that you have to teach yourself to navigate the whole world by counting your steps and turns and have absolutely no one know that you're doing that and you not knowing that everybody else isn't doing that. You're Stephanie. assuming- do you think Sebastian would be open to speaking with us one day? Um, Sebastian, I'll be totally honest with you. He suffered really severe trauma from what we went through. Okay. And so he is not yet in a place where he wants to do any advocacy. Sure. And he 100,000% supports my efforts on his behalf. Yes. But he has at this time decided he's not ready to talk about some of, I mean, I was physically threatened by a neuro ophthalmologist. I'd never even met right in front of him. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I went, we, we had a horrific experience getting a diagnosis for my son. And the man walked into the exam room that way. We didn't get into a conflict. He just walked into the room right. and put his face and screamed at me in front of my son. Yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate. Sometimes there's resistance to change and knowledge realizing there's so much more out there. And that's why we need to make that the one and only time that you experience that, as well as having no other parent feel that way when they're mm -hmm. just trying to do the best for their child. 
Right, exactly. It's ridiculous. And and I mean, it wasn't like we were asking for illegal medications or have all right. his limbs removed. Or, right, know, right. My son can't navigate and he needs to learn how to navigate using his phone. And we need someone who can teach him how to do that. Because I know there's people who do that as a job. <laughs> sure. But that comes to education, right? So that comes to, that's what I'm saying. Like we all have our role. We have what we're educated in, what we're experienced in. Some of us have trades and that becomes our, our place of purpose oftentimes and our place of knowledge. But there also comes time when we educate ourselves so much. And honest, honestly, Stephanie, that's what I did. Because when I was in, I was the behavior specialist put back into the classroom and what we were doing, what I was told to do, it wasn't working and I knew it. So I went back like what you're writing with those research articles. I went back to research peer reviewed journal articles well into my career, highlighted. I took the research, brought it into the classroom. I let Mm -hmm. the children teach me what they needed to know and I merged that with the research, came up with evidence-based resources to help children focus, to help children learn. Thank you for talking about peer-reviewed, evidence-based research, not just anything, right? Right. Not just because some so-called expert says so, right? But because it's actually supported by research, and that's really what's been missing from the CVI world for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just... We heard the craziest things, I'll be honest, when we were trying to get a diagnosis for my son and, oh, we were told that, you know, antidepressants would cure my son's brain damage. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, thank you for not trying enough. (laughs) Well, you know, when there is a shortage, and I think this goes out to everybody. So when there's a shortage of research, I think that um, professionals in different fields are afraid to commit to to something and say, yes, that's absolutely right. Because one, they haven't experienced it. And two, in their mind, there's not enough research. So Mm -hmm. doing research and for the listeners out here, if there's someone in your world and you feel like there's an area that hasn't been researched yet or fully, or there needs to be more information on, you can do it too. You might have to align yourself up with someone who can help you Mm -hmm. and support you in those efforts because it's a big task. It's not an easy task to to do some research, but nothing isn't possible. So you go to your colleges, you go to people in the field and say, are you interested in this? Help me because I'm living it. And together we need to merge and we need to get more information out there because that's going to what, that's what's going to help level up that respect to get information out there like CBI. And within that, this past five years, Stephanie, the growth that you have just shared with us is incredible because it could take decades to get to where you've gotten in five years. Well, because yes, we've CVI has been around as long as humans have had brains to damage. It is not new. And we've actually been, we've known about it and studied it since world war one. So there is research on CVI. It just isn't being taught. It's not being learned. It's not being read by people who need to read and learn and teach it. 
And so, but we do need so much more. And so that's why I think participating in research is important as well. We are actually planning on heading back to Boston in August to continue our work with Dr. Latvi Maribet at the Sheppens Eye Research Institute for the Laboratory for Visual Neuroplasticity. So we will be back there because he's um, designed a whole other research project. And so we'll be there again. And um, yeah, and continue. And the nice thing is it's good to see that our what we've done is being used. Yes. Because the, the, the Perkins School for the Blind has created a new CVI protocol for identifying and assessing children who have CVI. And it is all research-based. And the paper that was published on My Son by Dr. Latfi Marabed and Dr. Barry Cran is actually part of the research that is supporting the new CVI protocol at Perkins. So big changes happening. I mean, it's one little piece, you know, it's just one piece, but every piece we can put together of how we are actually, how we see, how we see with our brains, you know, and just end the silliness about that the eyes are what sees. <laughs> right. It's incredible. Stephanie, you have provided us with so much information, knowledge, and opening the doors of of this whole topic about seeing and the way that we approach learning about it too. Um, thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for being willing to share your experiences and, and, and globally, thank you for your dedication because you're making a huge impact on not just your family, but for others. And that's why we're all here. That's why we're doing what we do to help ourselves so we can gain that information, that knowledge and become inspiration for change. So thank you very, very much for joining well, us today. Thank you for being such a wonderful host. And thanks for having me here today. There'll be extensive show notes with lots of resources for parents. Yes. So please take a look for the, there for educators, parents, even medical professionals will find useful information in the show notes today. Thank you again. And please, listeners, comment below. Okay, we want to hear from you. Thank you. And remember to like, subscribe and absolutely share this episode. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.